0: So rush the bus behind us forty four Avenue on Avenue. Alright, so it's Pete and Julie from Rush the Bus and uh, we have Ginny Sanzo and Ginny is a funeral director and she's also my neighbor. So we thought it's kinda of interesting right now to see what, what they're dealing with and you know, what a funeral director sees, you know, after we, you know, pronounce the patient. You know, and then they're gonna go and go to the funeral home and stuff like that. So you know, so hi, Jenny. Thanks for coming on. I know you're really busy right now.
1: Yeah, it's been a little hectic. Not gonna lie, it's uh,
0: it's oh. it's pretty insane. A lot of you know relentless hours. So yeah, like you guys. Yeah. So all right, Jenny. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So where were you? Where were you born? <laughs> where did where did you grow up? So I'm originally from Northern New Jersey. I
1: grew up in Bergen County, and I got my calling to be a funeral director when I was in high school and had a death in my family. And, you know was already at that impressionable age so I don't have family that's in funeral service I'm sort of the renegade and so pretty much right after high school I went to mortuary school and you know just followed the suit and did my internship got the education that I needed and I've been a licensed funeral director for oh my gosh I think like 17 years now I think um, oh, wow. so I've been in funeral service for, for about 20 years
0: okay so, how long is how was how long does it take to become a funeral director director or like what's the difference? So you have a funeral director. You know, that.
1: in the state of New Jersey and actually in the state of New York as well, the funeral director's license it's it's one license and that is for funeral directing and embalming. There's other states where the two licenses are separate, but in New York and New Jersey it's one license and you do okay. both. <clears throat> um, so anyway, I was working for yeah, I've worked for a couple of funeral homes, not too many. I used to work for a trade service, which does work for contract work for funeral homes. And I worked for a regular funeral home in Ridgewood for 11 years. And now I've been here for almost five years, about four and a half years. And I operate three funeral homes, this one, one in Keyport, and one in Eatontown. Town. Mm. Interesting. That's pretty yeah. neat.
2: So and you're m- saying, oh, I'm sorry, uh, I was just going to say you said earlier that like it's a 24-7 kind of job, right? I mean, yep. so how does that work? I mean, how do you get called in or how, you know?
1: So there's two of us as funeral directors between the three funeral homes and basically we just alternate on-call schedules. There's one of us that is on call at any given point in time. So we do have a 24-hour answering service that we will use um, just because that kind of fields some of the calls that can wait till morning as compared to the report of a passing, you know, those, those types of calls do need to be responded to 24 hours, seven days a week. So Mm -hmm. we, we try to alternate, we alternate weekends. We, you know, we have our on-call schedule so that it, you know balances out for both of us and we can pretend to have some semblance of a life mm-hmm. <laughs> right now neither one of us does <laughs> so life is There's life is the funeral <laughs> uh but you know we alternate our holidays and such so that we can mm-hmm. you know again try to survive and have some family time etc you know mm-hmm. but when we're you know in times of crisis or you know just very hectic times you know both of us are we're on deck and you yeah. know fluff through until until everyone's cared for and how you know, everything's accomplished
0: hmm. how how long so you guys go out just as a pair right just to two you sometimes yes
1: you know um there, there's other some other part-time staff but in in current times with everything you know we've really kind of scaled back our part-time staff because everyone has different exposure risks and you know comfort levels and in working in these types of dynamics you know with both the dead and the living so yeah. we really you know significantly scaled back. So the primary ones out and about are myself and my other funeral director in terms of conversing with families and and caring for those who have passed away.
3: Um, we do
1: have another young lady who who's working predominantly from home. Yeah. And she's doing, you know, a lot of the digital paperwork and everything because there's some families that are just not able to come in. There's a lot of distance arrangements because people are out of state. They can't come into state. And with the now even more strict you know, mandates governing funerals and what can be done as for this executive order that just came out on Thursday, Wednesday oh. or Thursday. We we really are trying to do everything with, with our hands tied behind our back and we're not happy.
2: So what did the order say? I mean, what does it prevent and change? Uh.
0: <laughs>
2: Motorcycles. It is,
1: uh, so basically we are strongly encouraged to provide for the disposition of human remains by direct cremation or immediate burial or entombment, regardless of whether the cause of death was related to Hmm. COVID-19.
0: What does that mean? Embalming
1: people? That the next line is um, embalming is strongly discouraged, but may be performed when determined necessary by a licensed mortuary practitioner and if appropriate personal protective equipment is utilized. And then one of the other lines is regarding viewing. Licensed mortuary practitioners under the direction of a registered mortuary shall not permit in-person viewings, visitations, or ceremonies with an open casket containing the decedent, regardless of the decedent's cause of death. Viewings, visitation, or ceremonies with closed caskets or the presentation of cremated remains of the decedent are permitted but must comply with the current limitations on gatherings. So the 10 people, you know, Mm -hmm. we always share with our families that the 10 people includes one staff member of the funeral home and your clergy if you're having any form of religious service. So with this, this new order, you know, we were notified of this Thursday night. So, and Pete, I know you and I were talking just the yeah, day before, and I right. had had a viewing and, you know, we had policies of, you know, guest lists, we need to know who's attending and have, we need to know everything and we have to space everyone out appropriately. Yeah. And, and it worked out fine. Only six people came, you know, and they, again, engaged in the di- digital interface. There was a prayer service conducted mm-hmm. by the minister from home. Yeah. So we zoomed just like we are doing now. And they were able to have that service and then they themselves had set up a Zoom gathering for the grandkids and kids and friends and such to be able to see, you know, see her and also see the the, the service. But now it's it's that next level of no in-person gatherings in terms of having an open casket and, and we take a lot of issue with that, we really do. Yeah. Why is that? Because when you think about the fact that someone who has passed away may have been in a nursing home or a hospital. And those facilities have closed their doors to visitors weeks ago. Yeah. So, and someone may have just had a routine <clears throat> operation or whatever, but they have not been able to see their family members for weeks. And now they pass away. And I actually had a family member tell me the other day, and this is the most succinct way that I've heard it described, people are just disappearing. They're in a facility, they're behind closed doors, they die and they can never be seen again and people are just disappearing. And that hurt my heart so badly because it's true. Yeah, it and because there's there's something, you know, it's, and granted it's not for everyone, open casket viewings and seeing the deceased, that's not for everyone. And that's why it's not forced on everyone. But it is meaningful and crucial for many, many people. And to have this taken away, regardless of the cause of passing, I think is unhealthy for the, for the hearts of many. And, you know, one of the, my biggest bones of contention is a, you have a couple that's been married for 60 years and one spouse dies and the other one can't see the other one. They have to be whisked away and cremated or buried and never seen again. And, and, and on the flip side of that is that, you know, in the sad reality, reality of of life, children pass away too. So now we have to tell a mother and a father that they can't see (laughs) before before their
0: child is, you know, buried or cremated. That's, that's inhumane. I know. So what would happen if you decided to to have an open casket, you know?
1: So our point of view, and this is actually, we're in the middle of working with a family right now that we had already made commitments for viewing, is we are doing it via Zoom. So we are caring for him and okay. it will be, you know, presented just as if people are coming in attendance, but instead we are setting up a secure Zoom meeting people have, a, you know, obviously need a password in order to get in. Is it the most ideal situation? Absolutely not, but it's better than nothing. And <laughs> so to at least be able to provide that digital interface to help people, you know, it's, it's something instead of just acquiescing and throwing our hands in the air and saying, sorry and not doing anything that's that's not what we're here for we, we have mm-hmm. to find
0: solutions for our families that's, that's what would we're here get, for would you get in a lot of trouble if you had an open casket
1: well technically it would be I would. against I'm the law you
0: would, i'm just asking like
1: mm-hmm. well, right on a technicality you? it's it's against the law and or whatever this directive is yeah, which definitely. i would like to run through the shredder but that's, that's mm-hmm. beside well, the
0: point if, um, if you made plans before this would that like
1: well, the yeah. thing is, is, and it's signed that it's, it's effective immediately. So this was actually effective on the 22nd. We just didn't know about it till the 23rd. Yeah. So, you know, again, and you, and that's where you fall in that gray area. So no, I'm, I'm not going to advocate like, Oh, have an app open casket anyway, even though that's what my heart wants to do. Yeah. You know, you want to buck the system, but you know, if you got caught, it's not worth it. It's yeah. really not yeah. worth it. So that's why, again, we're offering that digital solution for people. It, it's like I said it's not it's not at all ideal but it's it's something
0: yeah oh, that's yeah, awful we're, we're having have... the same thing like you know we're just taking the family you know they don't really realize that they're not going to be able to to come with us to the hospital right. you know and that's like our first day back because we hadn't been back for the beginning of this thing and okay. we took the first person we had essentially we were taking her away from our family forever and you know mm-hmm. when they finally realized when we are loading her into the ambulance that they weren't going to see her again so
1: Yeah, and, and that's, that's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And, and it leaves so many people, you know, just devastated and, and literally empty handed and, and no recourse whatsoever. And it's, it, it hurts. And as funeral directors, we, we get caught in the middle of it too, because we have to balance these grieving hearts with the letter of the mandates and everything. And it it gets tough because we're we're here to care for and console people. So you want to give the families what they need, and then you have your hands tied behind your back. And what angers me so much about this directive as well is that I feel that it's it's ill-informed. They're making decisions based upon what the World Health Organization said. And the World Health Organization covers all the countries in the world yep. including third world countries who just might not have the means to properly sanitize yeah. prepare you know bury cremate the dead and so that directive from the world health organization has to cover those circumstances so i understand why they say that but yeah. for the state of new jersey to turn around and not look at what the cdc said where the cdc specifically said that even of people who have passed away from COVID-19, you can embalm, you can care for, you can sanitize and, and prepare okay. for viewing. This is not, you know, a nationally illegal situation. It's, it's mm-hmm. okay, and, and as funeral directors, even though we have our own fights with trying to fight for PPE, it's very limited. We're kind of like the last rung of people who get distributed to. I don't think anyone can do guys. You know I'm what sorry? I mean?
0: I don't think anybody thinks about you. They don't, like out they don't. Out.
1: And so that's that's another front, another battlefront that we're on. But regardless, at least, you know, we have the training, we have the, you know, the, the chemicals and such that we need to properly care for individuals as compared to perhaps a third world country that may not. So yeah. for, for the state of New Jersey to choose a, the World Health Organization as a basis for information versus the CDC, I take I take great issue with that because it's completely unnecessary. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And are
2: you? I mean, when you're, when you're working on like the deceased, mm-hmm. are you guys like completely in isolation? You know, attire, or are you just like? I mean, I'm sure there are like a lot of other factors that come into this. Like,
1: you know, right. regularly
2: you have to like use PPE, but now it's probably right. a lot more.
1: Absolutely, and and quite frankly, between. You know with my staff members there's two funeral directors which means there's two embalmers but i've chosen to be the person that's in the front lines in that arena because i just i don't want to run the risk of exposing anyone else unnecessarily and, and i feel comfortable i've been embalming for a very long time and have you know embalmed many other infectious type of situations and diseases so that i, I don't really have that apprehension i'm cautious and conscientious and it's about being mindful not fearful mm-hmm. so yes i my treat everyone, especially in this day, in this current, you know, health crisis, that there's a possibility that everyone could have been exposed to it, even if they're not, if it's not designated from the facility or from the physician or anything. But, Yes, there's some extra protective equipment I put on when I'm embalming. I'm using a respirator. I'm in, I'm mm-hmm. in, I'm fully fully covered, and you know I take that extra level of you know protection for for my own health and safety and for yeah. whomever I might come into contact with. And then when we when we do have to interact with families and such, you know we we make sure that we are wearing our face masks obviously, and then we do ask others to please be considerate and to wear a face mask as well. And you mm-hmm. know everyone has been very understanding and you know, com- you're workable with that yeah, request.
2: I feel like it's such a, you know, like for us being on an ambulance, like it's such a weird time when folks get sick. And I'm always like, oh, it's it's gotta be a terrible time for people to like have a weird motorcycle accident or, you know, their kid breaks their leg on a skateboard or something. But I'm mm-hmm. like, it's gotta be a really awful time to like actually pass away because of all the stuff that's happening. and And that kind of like, yeah, that final sort of like, you can't see them, you can't come with them and then they're whisked away and then you still can't see them and be with them and yeah. You know, I mean, I know like for us in my family we've always had open caskets and then when my mom passed we had an open casket and it's like there's something I for me personally that was like comforting about being able to like kneel next to that person, say a prayer, hold them, you know, like you see them, like physically be with them. Exactly. Um, not having that does feel like it wouldn't I don't know, wouldn't give as much closure or, you know, just, I don't
1: know. It, 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 like it lends to another level of, you know, they call it complicated grief, you know, and a lot of times, you know, we may realize that we have it or we may not realize it. But, you know, unfortunately, and I, and I know that this is a touch point for, for you, you discussed 9-11 and how many people just disappeared and that it's a lot of families have struggled with that since because there's no tangible evidence that yeah. someone has passed away and that, that's hard to wrap your head around you know especially years later it, it, it sneaks up on you when you least expect it
0: yeah, yeah. So i think everybody's sure. just getting lumped into this giant covid thing you know like mm-hmm. we're seeing like regular patients getting lumped in yeah you know as covid patients and they're really just getting lost in the mix
1: absolutely absolutely hmm. yeah. so it's definitely it's definitely challenging times and kind of can't wait to be over. can't wait for it to be over but i don't i know now that this new executive order came in you know it's not looking good
0: yeah yeah so so, nor, so on a normal basis so how does how does the whole mortuary thing work so who mm-hmm. calls you and then how does the the the, per, the i don't know body of the deceased person how do they end up at your yeah. so yeah. typically what... it, it depends upon oh, yeah.
1: you know the circumstances of a passing but the three okay. primary places you know would be a nursing home or assisted living facility okay. a hospital mm-hmm. Or home and so from there it would either be you know the hospice nurse or the nursing home that reaches out to the funeral home and that's 24-7 because nursing homes and assisted livies uh, assisted living facilities do not have morgues or holding facilities which is another yep. bone of contention um, and obviously your everyday house does not have a morgue in it so yep. that's 24-7 you know this is one of the reasons why we are on call 24-7 so in, in those circumstances you know it's either the family or the hospice nurse or the police that will reach out to us and notify us of the passing and we always make sure that we speak with you know the legal next of kin because in New York and New Jersey there are right to control laws and as funeral directors we need to make sure that we are speaking with the person who has the legal right to make these decisions you know a lot of times it might be the friend that calls like oh my friend's husband passed well I'm sorry, but we need to speak with your friend because she is the legal next of kin. Yes. So, yeah. in order to move forward with these arrangements, we have to make sure that we're speaking with the right person and the right person is giving us the authority to act. So, you know, many times we'll get a nursing home calling us in the middle of the night and it's like, well, you're listed on the face sheet. And it's like, well, we understand that, we appreciate that, but we need to speak with the person in charge. Yes. So, and that's always our policy. So, from there, Once we have obtained that permission, then it is the funeral home that goes to either the house or the nursing home or the hospital. Also to the medical examiner. Now that type of transportation happens from the medical examiner, but there are people, as you know, that do need to be brought to that facility. So we also do that transportation from the medical examiner and we bring into our care and then from there it's deciding what types of services that the family is requesting, there are many people who do seek you know immediate cremation. so there are certain things that we you know we have to confirm identity. You know if, if somebody has a pacemaker that does have to be removed causes damage What happens is because it has a battery in it and actually explodes in the cremation retort. It causes damage to the retort and potentially to the crematory operator. So wow. pacemakers have to be removed. So oh, no. as part of take, all the no, authorizations. I'm sorry. You take it out? Yes. Oh. Huh. Um, I was going to say who takes
2: that out, you know, like, cause I, don't know, I didn't realize that it had to come out, you know? Yeah. yeah.
1: So any other medical devices, usually they can stay in, you know, you have the hip replacements and things like that, you know, the different, you know, the ports and such for cancer treatments, but it's yeah. the pacemaker that has to come out. And that gets taken out by the funeral director and disposed of medical waste or there's recycling, um, implant recycling companies that they can be sent to, you know, as long as they're shipped properly. But again, that has to be done with the authorization of the family as well. And that's part of our very detailed cremation authorization forms that, again, the legal next of kin, you know, Right to control, person has to authorize and sign. So, and then from there, they're prepared for cremation and you know transported to the crematory.
3: Yeah. Or if
1: someone you know is looking to have open casket viewing and such, then then the embalming would take place you know, with the understanding that 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 is somewhat of a necessity to have the open casket viewing for health and safety reasons yeah. and for and for a timeline, because you know an individual who is embalmed can be in state longer. So when you have families that need to travel from out of town or there has to be a delay of services, you know, the, the integrity is going to be significant.
0: Yeah. All right, so I have two questions. How long does it take for a to body to be finished in the crematorium? So that I usually
1: know. takes a couple of hours, and in okay. New Jersey, you know, so I don't, I don't actually have all of the detailed cremation okay. answers because in New Jersey, funeral homes are not permitted to own or operate crematories. They okay. are kept in as a third party with cemeteries, because okay. under the under the cemetery rule, it's considered disposition, which goes together with cemeteries and mausoleums. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. As the funeral directors, we have, you know, we are responsible for the care of the individual and the transportation of the individual. But then from there, the crematory operator continues that care with cremation. But typically, it's about three to four hours, you know, on average.
0: What what happens after that? So they take all the ashes out and then, you
1: know,
0: like my dad was cremated. I know it's like a little box that they give it to you.
1: Right. So usually what they do is they, once the cremation has been completed and the cooling process has been completed, they do process the cremated remains into, you know, in when you think about it, it's primarily bone that's left, yeah. so that it's processed so that it resembles more of, you know, an ash texture. Okay. And then they are placed in that, in that receptacle. And then at the funeral home, if the family selects an urn, then it's the funeral director that transfers from that temporary container into the urn and, and does the sealing of the urn if the family desires,
0: mm-hmm. As well so as jewelry anyway. and keepsakes and everything else. Yeah all right so so now so you get so now the city want to get embalmed how long does it take you from like embalming the per how long is like the embalming process and you have to do the makeup and Put them all in that casket and stuff. So,
1: in terms of the embalming process itself, a lot of that does depend upon the condition of the of the person, of whether they have been autopsied or not. Okay. Um, and there is a common misnomer; people think that funeral directors do autopsies. We do not do autopsies. Only medical examiners and pathologists do autopsies. Okay. We come in when the autopsy is completed, and as part of the embalming procedure, we kind of, you know, realign everything. So to speak.
0: Ooh. What do you mean by that? Oh, just you, you know, there's know, a lot of incision. <laughs> I know that it's, it's coming off a little awkward. So right. I
1: mean, there's as you know, there's How incisions. Would
0: come to you from the medical examiner's office if they were autopsied? I'm I'm sorry,
1: coming in. I would they
0: look if they came from the from the from the medical examiner's office to you. Like, what is the So body? they have
1: that large Y incision, you know, across the the chest and like down the, the abdomen. Yeah. Correct. And then as well the as the cranial yeah. exactly. There's the cranial incision and you know the that section of the skull that has been removed so that the pathologist can access the brain. Okay. Um, so as the as the funeral director, we need to, you know, close those incisions, you know, appropriately treat and dry and preserve, you know, those those tissues and, and close them so that they're not open anymore. that? So that there's no leakage of any kind. You know, when you have when you have an open wound, there is
0: yeah. happens with
1: open ones, so we have to close those wounds. Interesting. Um, so definitely. like an autopsy embalming, you know, you could take, you know, probably three or four hours from beginning to end. By the time, you know, the drain and incision closing is completed. Um, a standard embalming is usually about two hours. You know, from beginning to end, you know, including all the disinfection and, you know, the the appropriate fixing, you know, closing of eyes Mm -hmm. and mouth and, you know, the the more delicate features that need to be presented appropriately for viewing. So usually for me, it takes about two hours from beginning Uh, to end. And then when you factor in the next level, you know, usually the next day or two days later is when the dressing and casketing and cosmetology would be done. And, you know, again, I am I guess I move a little bit slower. I'm very detailed. So, yeah, you know, right. something that'll take me like two to three hours by the time you're done
3: with the hairdressing and,
1: and the cosmetology. And and again, there's there's, it's a broad range. I mean, there's some individuals that need more cosmetic work or reconstruction work.
3: Yeah versus yeah, you know, if they were maybe bruises. sick
1: or
2: became Correct. sort of mutiated or had bruising, I guess. And Correct.
3: Correct.
1: So yeah. there's, so it's just sort of a general timeline you know, Like I said, there are some folks that I've, you know, been in the embalming room for, you know, eight hours mm. um, just working on the embalming and reconstruction. Yeah.
2: So if someone, you know, it's funny because I, I mean, like my mom was cremated, but we did have an open mm. casket. I mean, does that mean because i don't know my brother or my dad were the ones who dealt with the funeral home um mm-hmm. can you be embalmed and then be cremated i mean mm-hmm. okay yes so i don't know you know there's all the chemicals that you're using when you're doing embalming and stuff right
1: But no absolutely And 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 a lot of people do choose that type of service where you have your open casket viewing you can have a funeral mass or service at your church and then the only difference is that instead of you know processing to a cemetery they go to a
0: crematory instead that's the Mm -hmm. only only
1: difference yeah
0: how long does somebody last how long does you know somebody last after they've been cremated till you know you have to put them in the ground or you know
1: there's there's really no written ruling on that because people will hold
0: on to urns for
1: perpetuity in their in their families um so again that's that's a personal preference some families want to scatter some want to place those you know that urn in a cemetery so they could go visit that's just that's comforting for them and then there's others that keep them and then there's others that forget them in the closet
0: how long do you have to bury somebody before, so
1: <clears throat> again, there's not a clear rule on that, it's just more of a matter of making sure that they have been preserved or disinfected or held in a controlled environment. Okay. Um, because I'll we'll give an example if we have someone who needs to be buried at Arlington National Cemetery, mm-hmm. there is a significant wait period for that, mm-hmm. you know, right? And right now, it's we're looking at a minimum of eight weeks before someone can be buried oh in Arlington gosh. National Cemetery. Wow. So, You know, we, you know, obviously we have to make sure that, you know, our embalming is, you know, good to make sure somebody can last that long and and be properly, you know, laid to rest. So there may not necessarily be a viewing at that point in time. There could be a viewing beforehand, Um, and then it's just a matter of making sure that, you know, the person is stored appropriately while they await
0: burial. Mm. And you have to keep them at your facility?
1: Yes, and that's what we usually do is we keep them at our funeral home because they, they're under our supervision and our care. There are funeral homes in that area that will, you can bring the decedent to their funeral home and they will keep them in their storage and then, you know, provide the service at Arlington National Cemetery, but quite, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. I yeah. just, mm-hmm. I feel more comfortable, you know, per, this family has trusted me with their loved one, yeah. so they're going to stay in my care and I will bring them to Arlington. Mm. How many
2: i mean if you don't mind my asking like how many um like bodies are you able to store in in the funeral homes i guess
1: well every every funeral home you know has a different size and storage capacity so since we have the three locations you know we are able to you know we one of our other locations is like the central preparation area for our three. Because, for example, this funeral home here is—it's very small. It won't really have room to keep anyone for an extended period of time. So we have a funeral home in Keyport. So that's where we, you know, will keep anyone that that needs to be kept there.
0: Mm.
1: Wow.
3: Yeah, you got so- to come
0: get his basement, Jewel. <laughs> I got to show you the basement. <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely
2: cool. So with the whole COVID situation, I mean, have, I'm assuming you folks have been like a lot busier than? Correct.
1: You know? Correct. At this point in time, we as most funeral directors in, in our area and above us, um, have been doing triple to quadruple our call volume. Wow.
0: Oh
1: mm. my gosh. Where's
0: the person you've gone to pick somebody up? Because I know you're saying you were getting calls from my Queens.
1: Yes. Oh, so yes, we are currently serving a family that's from Brooklyn and the death had occurred in Brooklyn because they were just, they're trying to find funeral homes that will accommodate them that don't have that backlog of weeks or months like some of their oh local funeral homes do. And because they just, understandably, they just cannot take on any more families because the situation is the crematories and the cemeteries are backlogged as well. So there's just literally no room anymore. To hold anyone. So, for, um, the funeral homes have been in an unfortunate place of, you know, sadly having to turn away families because they just can't take them yeah. on.
0: There's no place
3: to put them And, and, and it's a horrible, horrible situation. That's, and it's no one's fault.
0: Yeah. Wow. We've seen that at one of the hospitals because they started out with one trailer and then it was two and now it's three. And it just keeps growing and growing. And it's, you know, somebody had made a comment. other day and this this is what really prompted us somebody's comment that you know that they're not doing funerals and i tried to explain them they that you are doing funerals you know you're Mm i didn't know you were embalming people i thought everybody was going to the crematorium and stuff like that but you know this is quite interesting but you know people need to know that you are doing funerals they're just Mm -hmm. not as we're used to you know like with the church and the funeral you know what exactly so. zoom
1: has been for, for us for right now it has been a lifesaver for us because it is such a user-friendly interface and with it you know especially if you have the the, the licensed use it's you know your your gatherings are encrypted and you know we, we can do we can do a little bit more to accommodate our families that are separated by distance and quarantine yeah. <laughs> and isolation and such and and obviously with the strict mandates now you know it's really our only alternative and and at least with zoom it's it's mobile friendly so we've been conducting graveside services with it you know we set up the laptop or the phone if it's you know weather permitting you know i had a service a couple Mm. weeks ago it was windy and rainy so the the laptop would have gone flying so i you know kind of just stood there with the phone and and recorded everything but like i said we we have clergy who are dialing in you know from their places of home or, or worship and family members gathering from, from everywhere. As long as they have that link, they can get in. And then what we do if a family is amenable, since Zoom has that option to record the the meeting, yeah. we will record mm-hmm. it and then kind of clean it up on the front end and the back end and, you know, remove the awkward, you know, can you hear me part. Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, we put it up into our our tribute video software and add, you know, some still photos and, you know, Mm. some meaningful text and everything. And we're able to create that. So at least the family has that as a keepsake and they can share it with other people who may not have been able to be present in that moment to attend the ceremony, but, you know, at least have that, have that option because again, you know, everything else has been taken away from them. At least they have that little tangible piece to to look back on.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's you know it's fu- I mean it's not funny but it's like thank goodness that this happened at a time where we have the technology to you know see each other and and yeah. kind of you know it, it feels like we're sort of in contact because like you're seeing someone's face you right. know like you're talking to them not just on the phone and I feel <laughs> like if we didn't I mean if this happened God forbid like 10 years ago this would be truly i mean it's awful but yeah that's it like it's It's spanish in every aspect of our lives you know like school for kids and funerals and just meetings and you know like this would be like we'd all be completely isolated and cut off from one another absolutely well think about it a
1: hundred years ago 1918 and how long did that go on
2: flu i know and that's it. Like, and people were like desperate to get out, you know, and probably yeah. got out a little too early. And
3: yeah,
0: um, you know. But I mean, I know everybody's yeah. getting antsy in the pantsy. You know? yeah. I mean, I get it. I know. I couldn't think of anything else. Antsy.
1: I know. Well, it's it's funny because my other funeral director and I look at each other like I I could I could go for a couple days of isolation and
3: quarantine right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
2: I know there's been a few times where I'm like, it would be not a terrible thing to just be home and like have few days <laughs> to just be home. But then at the same time, I'm like, you know, it is it's almost good to have somewhere to go and something yeah. to do. It's yeah. like I feel like if I were just home, I might not be able to like deal with this as well. You know, like having like, really? like you know, yeah, like I think having like somewhere I to go to of, work. Yeah, <laughs> going so,
0: to work to go to work.
2: I know, going to work, even though it's not ideal, like sometimes it's pretty awful. Um, it's like, at least it's something that like takes up the time, you know? Exactly. Being away from one another alone in your house is not really ideal. Right.
1: And, you know, and we look at it this way too. I mean, you know, given the increase in, in deaths of which are not all COVID related, um, but just, it just seems to be a a greater influx, you know, as, as funeral directors, we, we have the opportunity to be just a little bit of light and you know, someone's grief and, yeah, yeah. you know, try to help them as, as best as possible in all of this dark and storminess that's going on right now. So it's, you know, we look at it, it's, it's an honor to serve. It's an honor to be able to be there. Yes, there's a lot of sleepless nights, but that's what we signed up for. So, yeah. um, you know, again, that's why, you know, we fight the good fight and do what we can to come up with solutions for families. It's like, okay, well, we can't gather in person. What's the next thing that we can do? To be able to make sure that we can give families what they need, yeah. so you know, it's resourcefulness, it's creativity, it's definitely a lot of thinking out of outside the box and on the fly, trying to come up with solutions. But at least it keeps your brain engaged, right?
3: Yeah.
1: I mean, it's but it is interesting. I guess like I never thought about it
2: as much, you know. And, and I mean, I guess when my mom passed, like because my dad and my brother sort of, you know, went down that road. I was like more with my dad in the hospital. Maybe because of my medical background and my brother was more like taking on the role of like I'll help dad kind of like work through the funeral um stuff and I I guess I never really thought about it but like obviously you know it takes a certain amount of experience and know-how but like you're also kind of like providing some form of like therapy you know what I mean like you're kind of like the compassion that you give families it's it's not something that you just like have like you've had to like you know for years of experience and like learning how people grieve and, you know, it's, I mean, obviously there's school, but it's like, you can't really teach like the kind of compassion it takes to do this, especially in this kind of a challenging time, Right. you know, I mean, that's interesting.
1: Exactly. And, you know, we look at it this way. It's not, you know, even though a funeral home is a place of business, this isn't necessarily just a business transaction. This is is something that needs to be done with love and compassion and care. And and I guess that's what's so hard for us as funeral directors right now too, is that we're so inclined to be nurturing in, in the, the value of touch and yeah, a hug, yeah. and you know we just kind of like stand there kind of twitching now because it's like you, you just want to reach out i mean how many sh- how many people have cried on my shoulder and now i can't i can't provide yeah. that and that's you know to me that's the next level of like this is inhumane i can't you know this is such a struggle right now and i know many of my colleagues are in that same position this is what we do we we touch people we we care for people we love people and you know to have that wall thrown up it, it, it's it's tough it's been tough to work around cause yeah i keep telling my family i'm like i want to hug you right now i'm so sorry that i can't you know yeah. i don't want to because do. i want to hug you right now i feel like
2: even you know like for us too like there's times that we go to cardiac arrest calls and like i try to you know at the end of that i i usually try to tell people like i'm so sorry and like you know like try to offer a little like i don't know my condolences my you know sympathy for them and now I have this like mask on and all you can see is like this part of my face and like trying to not touch someone and also like show them that you actually are okay, caring about bit. them.
3: You know, we're not yeah,
2: and it's like all they can see is just your eyes and like it's so weird. It feels so like distant, you know, absolutely. and absolutely like, you know, absolutely. that kind of compassion that you're used to like providing people is like now completely at this. I don't know, this like weird wall, like you said, it's, it's like you have a wall in between you, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, when you, so when you went and decided that you wanted to do this, like, Mm -hmm. what did you feel like when you first started doing it? I mean, like, obviously over the course of this many years, you've changed, you know, like you've had different experiences, but in the beginning, like, was it what you thought it would be? And I mean,
1: did you ever question your choice, you know? You know, in the, in the beginning, in the beginning, I did not question my choice. There have been points in my career where, where I have, as, as everyone has, like, am I doing the right thing? Am I making a difference? Is any of this going to matter when I'm gone? But in the beginning, no, I, I didn't. I, I probably the hardest part for me was I was so young when I went into mortuary school. I was only 17 when I enrolled oh, and wow. of course a female wow. and you, you know, 20 years later there are a lot more women in funeral service than there was 20 years ago and even at that point in time there were much more than 20 years before that but still still predominantly you know a male-dominated field so and again you think about it most funeral directors come from families that are in funeral service so I was kind of the odd duck on multiple levels uh, but you know I forged through it I graduated second in my class because you know I'm an inner nerd and. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, and it just went forth and you know, it was hard for me to try to find an internship because that is an integral part and a necessary part of obtaining a license. In yeah, the state yeah. of New Jersey, if you you have your mortuary science education and your sixty credits, you have to serve a two year internship. Oh. So, so basically it basically takes five, you know, five years to get your funeral director's license. Mm-hmm. And yes, it is it is a paid internship. Oh, okay. Yes. That's great. Um the a well oh, you know, <laughs> paying internship, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but then I forgot where I was going. I'm so sorry. There's no sleepless nights, and I've been forgetting I'm sure. my her.
2: <laughs> <laughs> And I, I was gonna say, actually, I, I feel like there's someone that we work with who's trying to do this, and she also does not have family in it. Like, right. did you find that getting an internship without having those networks? It was very
1: hard. I knocked on a lot of doors. I sent out a lot of resumes. And finally, it it was really interesting. And, And I think of him fondly. May he rest in peace. There was a gentleman who had his own funeral home. And he answered the phone. He said, come on down. Come talk to me. I was like, oh, great, this is awesome. This, <laughs> I have an interview, so I'm all in my uh-huh. suit, and I'm to try plodding over there. I'm like 21 years old or something like that. Yeah. You know, all the hopes and dreams, like, highlighted in front of me. And, uh-huh. and so, you know, he's a typical funeral homeowner. You know, he's he's standing outside on the ladder in the front of the funeral home, painting the columns because it's a quiet day, so he's just going to work on, you know, uh-huh. touching the place up a little bit. And he was just, just talking with me. So I came to discover that he wasn't looking to hire anyone, but he took the time to talk with me and not talk to me. He spoke with me and he said, I'm going to make a phone call. And there was another funeral home, a funeral service, I should say, a funeral service in, that, in, in, the, in the town that I lived in. And he said, like, I'm going to call them. You should go talk to them. And that's where I ended up getting my foot in the door. And, you know, that, you know, owner, he took a chance on me. You know, like I said, this 21-year-old girl who had, you know, mortuary education and an associate's degree and zero experience outside of mm-hmm. what that, which I did in mortuary school while yeah, yeah. attending school. So he took a chance on me. And, and I know I learned a lot there. I really did. Because this, you know, this trade service it's an entity that funeral homes will reach out to when, you know, maybe they're working beyond their caseload, or if they need assistance from someone, they just don't have enough staff at that point in time, they need coverage, they need out-of-state help, or they need international shipping assistance, you know, that type of thing. So that type of, that type of firm has a significantly higher call volume than just your regular funeral home, because they are covering work for many funeral homes. Yeah. So I had a lot of exposure and, you know, to a lot of the technical work. I did a lot of involvement, a lot of, you know, transportation work and coordination of international shipping and such. So that that laid my foundation in funeral service. And mm-hmm. as a result, I have my New York funeral director's license as well because I was able to do my internship with them and get that where I you know, I had the opportunity to, yeah. so I have not regretted that at all. I don't use it as much as, you know, I used to, but I have it, I keep it, I maintain it, yeah. and
3: mm-hmm. it helped me this week,
1: so, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's good to have. So, then from there, I, you know, like I said I ended up in a funeral home, you know, two towns away from where I grew up, and, and I was there for, I said, 11 years, and, you know, it was, there's me and the, you know, the funeral director, the manager, funeral director, and, you know, he's, He's a mentor that I absolutely adore. When I became president of the State Funeral Directors Association, he was the one who swore me in because he means a lot to me. He's a good guy. Yeah. You were the president of the State Funeral Directors Association? Yes, I was.
3: Yeah. You from are. 2016
1: to 2017. We have uh-huh. just under a thousand members in funeral homes in, in our association. And we worked very hard, you know, on the political front, on the consumer advocacy front, and yeah. um, working on options to help us better run our funeral homes and serve our families. It's a pretty robust organization.
0: Wow. So you, so you try to pick up people who just came out of school or, you know, if somebody's trying to get into this, you know?
1: So we do. We have had people reach out to us. You know, we, we have to be mindful because, you know, we can't take on too many people if we don't yep. have You know, the the means to support them, but we do have a young lady with us right now who's attending. She's just finishing up mortuary school. And so she's doing her internship with us. She's the young lady who's working from home right now and strengthening her skills on the, you know, funeral arranging side with You know, all the digital signatures. We're using DocuSign for e-signatures with families Mm and, you know, queuing up all those communications and everything's safe and such. So she has been she's been a strong, strong help throughout this crisis as well. So it's basically the three of us who've been conducting majority of everything.
2: When you um, decided that this is something you wanted to do, like was your family and friends, were they supportive of this idea or did they think it was like
1: out of left field or? the yeah for the most part i, I was supported there is if anybody thought i was coming from left field it was you know anybody knew that i mental met along the way or you know somebody would say oh what do you do and i'd be like oh i'm going to mortuary school or i'm, I'm becoming a funeral director and so it's 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 the new entrance into my life that would be like oh and yeah, i actually believe it or not yeah. still get that i was really Aww. surprised i was like really yeah. <laughs> but what that's okay
0: you want to hear about you know i'm sorry one of those hidden jobs that you know you want Well, that's
1: the thing you know it would be at first it's the ill but then it's like then it's 52 questions
0: yeah (laughs) which is
1: you know which is fine you know it used to irritate me when i was younger because i'd be like listen i'm I'm out i'm just trying to have something to eat i don't want to talk about this but now it's it's different because you know my my love for what i do has just expanded you know even more so i don't mind sharing I
2: think, you know, it's interesting because I always say like in our Western culture, like death is so far removed from life yet yeah. usually. I think for us, we, you know, we get like a firsthand account of death because like we work on an ambulance, we constantly are like exposed to it. Mm-hmm. But like for most people, it's this sort of hidden like taboo kind of thing that, you know, it's it's almost like we don't want to see the dead dead dying. We want to see them like in a funeral home and that's it. Like it's it's gotta be neat, maybe in a hospital. And like people don't really die at home anymore. So there are a lot of people very removed from it. And I feel like if we viewed it as just a regular part of life, like we all are going to die. Mm
3: -hmm. You know, this is
2: just one more thing that we all do, um, it wouldn't be as scary. It would just be like this is the end. Like we all started, you know, we lived and we end. But like I think for a lot of people it's it's like I mean, even some of the people it, that I mean, we
0: like people keep the family on the vent, you know, like for like yes, two years, yeah. you know, and it's it's like, are you? Why are you keeping this person around? Is well, it because you know, death
3: is almost seen bottle. as this? You know
0: what I mean? It's this like thing, this thing, thing that, that like, like they, they don't, don't.
2: Yeah, it's like they don't want to allow that that final step. You know, they that's right. what we're preventing is death. It's, but the reality is, you're actually
0: preventing the, the quality of life. You're torturing the You know what I mean? You're making everybody else feel good, but I don't know. This is just my thought. You know. I don't wanna lay there, you know? Right. So I pull yeah. my kids Great. You know, to pull it. You know, <laughs> that's
1: true, but it's true so. though. And and that's why there it's so important to have those advanced directives. I mean, I'm you know, I'm I'm forty two. I've had my directives since I was thirty something. It's in my will and you know, Ray and I might not always see eye to eye on the directives, but <laughs> you know, I'm like, All right, well I'm gonna trust you to make the best decision, but you know what my wishes are. I you know, I, I don't mm. I don't wanna be in that situation. I really mm. don't. But You know, I do agree. We we do live, you know, in a very death denying and hands off type of society. There's other cultures that embrace death, and not in an unhealthy fashion, but in in a very hands on. And you know, we're going to we we take care of our our beloved who has passed away, and we don't view them as if they're disgusting. They are they are us. They are ours. These are you know these are our people. And just because they're dead doesn't mean there's something different now. And you know our culture is, is different from that. It is, you know, it's that forever young, don't die type mm-hmm. of, of culture and belief system. And it's not, it's not healthy. It really isn't. And it's, it's better to just deal with that fact that death is a part of life. It, yeah. As much as that is unfortunate and tragic at times, mm-hmm. you know, I don't mean it in a cavalier sense, but it, it, there's, there's health in acceptance. Yes. Yep. And I, and I feel like,
0: a culture shift from this. You know, we that? may see a culture shift. You know. Maybe
2: because I, I mean for us like at work, we've definitely had the discussion with families in the recent weeks that we've said like, you know, they're not they're not doing so well, but like it might be better for them to be home with you because if we take them to the hospital this might be it you may not see them again and if they're here they're going to be cared for by your family and it's i think people are afraid when they hear that like they don't want to accept that their loved one might die with them but the idea that their loved one might die alone without them is enough to be like scary Mm -hmm. and like we should actually like keep this person home with us and we had a family sure. We had a family that recently um lost an older, like their loved one who was maybe ninety-five, I think. Okay. And um she the family was actually like so I mean they called us almost like as a we're supposed to call 911 when this happens, but they knew she passed hours earlier and they were like it was just like they embraced it. They mm-hmm. embraced how she died peacefully at home with them. They weren't upset, they weren't afraid. I mean, they had the sadness that they lost their loved one, but it was, I don't know, it was just like very nice to kind of see how this family came around. There was like, the whole house was full of people. Right. So it right. wasn't alone. That's why they didn't call an ambulance. They didn't want her to be alone in right. the hospital when they could be home with her. They said
1: they made her tea, they put candles. Yeah. I was like, that's really nice, you know? Right, it's, it's beautiful and it's just more natural. That yeah. natural progression and that togetherness and, and and probably like you said even though there's there's a hole there now and there's that natural grief there's also that beauty in being there and and giving her something that you know shows the care and shows the love and that togetherness it's
0: yeah. there's a beauty that, there. that's love to me you know i mean when you can watch and i don't know it sounds sounds weird you know to watch you know someone pass away like that you know
1: but it's so sort of bittersweet last moments you know
0: mm-hmm. so.
1: yeah, absolutely
0: mm-hmm. damn I gotta move. it's cold outside <laughs> like, I came in and feedback
2: I know sorry Peter I after. guess to uh, go further
0: huh. God. If somebody forgot their headphones that's the problem
2: I know sorry I did
1: <laughs> I'm locked up in my but home that? office here so there's there's there's, there's oh. no feedback here <laughs> <laughs>
2: I know, and I came out to Jersey today so we could film certain things. But now I'm like, we can't sit in the same room, or I just hear all this okay. echo.
0: I'm upstairs. Okay. <laughs> you find somewhere. I'll find somewhere eventually. <laughs> I <laughs> tore my house too. All right. All right. Oh, I love you. <sighs> okay. All
2: right. Lovely. I can't mm. hear your echo anymore, <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, there we go. Mm.
0: <laughs> Quite interesting. Yeah. But, I, don't
2: know, I mean, like, is this, when you're, you know, done at the end of the day or, I mean, obviously it's like 24 hour shifts pretty much, but um, are there calls, I mean, I, I don't know what you guys call them, we call them calls, but I mean, like, are there um, people's families that like maybe, like, know how to say it but like maybe make you feel differently or kind of hit a little harder like do you see yeah yeah
1: absolutely there's some folks that you just you know you're more able to connect with and you know there's that just that extra level of human connection you know some you know we do our best to connect with everyone but some people just kind of have that wall up and they're just they're not there they're like I just want to bury mom and leave me alone type of thing which is fine you respect that but when you do, when you, when you establish that rapport and that relationship and, you know, w- with the family, you can laugh together, you can cry together and, you know, you walk with each other hand in hand. Yes. In my, my point of view in, in funeral service, again, it's not just a business transaction, you know, it's the shared human experience. You know, for example, if you, something joyful happens to you in your life, I'm happy for you. I share that joy with you. I carry that joy with you. But conversely, if you go through something tragic, if your heart hurts, if you're in pain, you know, as the shared human experience, I help you carry that sorrow and that pain as well. I walk with you hand in hand. I'm not ahead of you. I'm not behind you. I'm next to you. And Mm -hmm. even if that's just the slightest bit of comfort that I can provide, you know, a family, whether they're burying a parent or a child or a sibling or a grandparent Mm -hmm. or an aunt or an uncle, it, it doesn't matter. You know, at the end of the day, grief is grief pain in the heart is pain in the heart and so to share that and help someone carry that burden that's why we're here
0: Mm. how did you deal with this like when you first started you know did did this bother you more when you were first in uh, getting into into this
1: no actually it, it it's kind of hard to explain in the beginning i think i was more afraid of making a mistake Okay. So in the beginning, I was very like, you know, yeah. cut and dry and, you know, no emotion, don't show yeah. any emotion because, you know, you're not here to show emotion, you're here to be strong and supportive. Yeah. And as I've grown into my, my role, I've realized that that's, it's the opposite direction we should be heading in. You know, you, if you're cold and disconnected, you're you're not providing the service that that family needs. They need to know that you care and that you really, really care, and you're not yeah. just acting like you care. And it's and it's not an act. You know, when somebody tells me about their beloved, I I want to hear about it. I want to hear those stories. I you know share yeah, those yeah. memories with me. And you know, if I can come up with something special to honor that person, something that you weren't expecting, then that's that's an honor for me to be able to do and to make it be more meaningful i'm not just a cookie cutter okay we're gonna visiting two to four seven and nine go to church at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning and off to the cemetery we go yes that's a crucial you know that's the skeletal structure of it and the foundation but there's so much more to it because each life that was lived is is different Mm
3: -hmm. our lives
1: are not the same you know and my life is not the same as another female funeral directors you know we live very different lives and so many times we get quantified by what we do but there's so much more to what we do like yes I'm a funeral director 24-7 but I like to knit and crochet too
0: (laughs) yeah I was gonna ask you that like what else do you do that's fun
1: (laughs) I mean I do like to knit and crochet I've been working on a blanket that I haven't picked up in weeks now because there's a. by the time I do get home my eyes are crossed I just kind of get over and wait for the phone to ring again so let's just kind of fold it up on the side for right now until this season passes (laughs) but Mm -hmm. you know i
3: love dogs and you know my little dog and my little buddy my
0: little shadow i've seen him a little white corgi dog
3: yes exactly (laughs) Funny (laughs) looking
0: front legs so you know how would you help how would you help uh, a newer funeral director that's having like issues you know if they were having you know like some some sad thoughts. I, I don't I don't really know like the right word to use. You know what I mean? like if they to having issues with the job. How would you help right. that?
1: Um I think it would stem I would try to see like where are those issues coming from. Are they coming from like I'm not I'm not doing a good enough job and you know then it's a matter of building up and saying, okay you know, your heart's in the right place. And, you know, if there's things that need to be fixed, let's strengthen this area and this area. But remember, you are awesome in this area and that area.
3: Yeah. So we,
1: we all have weaknesses. So I'll highlight my weaknesses, even though I've been yeah. doing this for 20 years. I'm not perfect. I like to pretend to be, but I'm far from it. Yeah. So, um, but if someone is, if someone is struggling with, you know, perhaps the sadness of it, I, again, I'm not, I'm not a therapist or a doctor by any stretch, because I'll be honest. There's times that it bothers me, and sometimes it (laughs) overwhelms me. And you know, for me, it's a a matter of you know, I I got I got to step away for you know, I I need to actually take the day off, you know, or you know, take the weekend off and not work and go do something that is me aside from funeral service, like knit or crochet that blanket, go for a walk, go visit a winery or go do something that's me, not inclusive of funeral service, you know, take a bath, have a glass of wine, whatever, yeah. You know, do, reconnect yourself with who you are when you get overwhelmed by the feelings that come with what we do. That's the best yeah. that I can suggest other yeah. than that is, you know,
0: seek professional help. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. I've done it myself. No, there yeah. And that's, that's the thing you know, as we get older, it's okay to ask for help, you, yeah. know? So, Absolutely. you know, like you said, like, it's not, you don't want to be that stone-faced person, you know, like right. when I started on the ambulance it was oh, suck it up. And yeah. now we're seeing more and more, you know, not everybody's built the same, you know, you really, you need to, 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 to talk to each other absolutely you know, uh, with, like, we're seeing crazy numbers so yeah
1: for sure and, and there is there's very there's a lot of value in that i've got trusted colleague friends that yeah sometimes we just have to get on the phone and and bitch to each other pardon my english you know and just oh, kind of yeah. vent for for a couple minutes and and then all of a sudden you know all is right in the world again and you're like all right i can get through this and i'll come up with a solution that needs to be needs to come up with so Know, it's it's definitely one day at a time, though, it's, especially these days, one hour at a time, quite honestly.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it's, you know, like, your job is is meaningful, and it matters, like, not just to you as a job or a career, but, like, it, obviously, it affects, like, thousands of people each year, you know what I mean? Like, what you're doing, like, affects the family, and then, you know, from there, it spreads out, and, like, people do remember, I mean, I think, like, people remember a nice week. A nice funeral you know what i mean like you leave there and you're like that was actually really nice or they did a really yeah. great job and you know what i mean it like it it makes you feel good like in a sad time you know that you were cared for um yeah. and i think that's like really important you know like this is like if anything it's like one of the more important part like the most important parts of your life almost are like your birth your death and then there's like quite a few things speckled in but like it is such a significant part of everybody's life that like to come away from there and feel like good about that.
1: Right, it's like there was meaning and there was connection yeah. and it wasn't just, you know, a, a scheduled event. Yeah, exactly, you yeah. know? Yeah, I have yeah. to I have to share a quote with you because I have one of my personal funeral service heroes is Thomas Lynch, he's a funeral director, multi-generational funeral director in, in uh, Michigan, I think he is. Um, but he had actually, and I don't know if you've ever heard of it, I think it was back in 2007, he did a PBS special called The Undertaking. And he's, mm-hmm. he's a poet, he's written a lot of books, one of which is called The Undertaking, Life of the Dismal Trade, and it's, it's very poetic and poignant. And one, one of his, one of the things that he said, and like I said, I'm going to quote him, he's Thomas Lynch, Funerals are the way we close the gap between the death that happens and the death that matters. A good funeral gets the dead where they need to go and the living where they need to be. And for mm-hmm. me, that has struck significant value. And when I'm in my own dark and stormy days, those are the words that I try to remember.
2: Mm. That's really a nice quote, you know. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm going to look him up. Thomas Lynch, she said. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's true. I think that is true, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I, I feel like I... I think that's what you're trying to do, and I'm sure a lot of other funeral directors across the United States are trying to do right now with you know these kind of technological solutions that we're trying to come to, because you, know, you have to do what you can,
0: for exactly. families. You
3: know,
0: and loved exactly. ones.
3: <laughs> that's
0: true. I just forget something for me, she just walked outside. Um, all right, so Jenny, so let me show this to <laughs> you. You had, like, one of those families that, like, you know, you just, like, they got in, like, a fist fight over, like, what they're going to do with mom and stuff?
1: You know, thankfully, I have been spared from the fist fights, although there was one years ago, not not when I was here, but in another firm where the family just could not get along with each other to save their lives. Mm-hmm. And there was, you know, screaming of horrible names from across the parking lot and the cops were called and oh it, was, it was very interesting and we just kind of stood there like wow okay this is yeah. happening all right
2: <laughs> that's a shame but i mean I, yeah. I guess you know not everybody gets along or even sees each other right you know and then in that kind of a situation obviously people have to kind of come together despite yeah. their differences
0: Ugh, that's it's awful. amazing to stuff people fight over like when somebody dies like I heard people, I, I've worked with people who's, they're fighting over like this old beat up jalopy car in the end, so Yeah. I'm yeah. glad I'm an only child. I don't have to fight over anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, it and again, the,
1: and that's part of the, you know, sometimes it's a minefield for us when when we're sitting at the table, you know, trying to create funeral arrangements to honor someone's life, and you, and you have people sitting at the table that hate each other, you know, we're here trying to do conflict management, Trying to balance, you know, what person A and person B wants and try to come up with a creative compromise so that one doesn't feel completely <coughs> left out or overruled or not listened to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's up to us yeah. in the middle, like, all right, we've got to come up with something that meets both of their needs because they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. There's, We have to find that middle ground. Is everyone going to be happy? No but they will have at least some of their needs met and they will know that each person was listened to because that's crucial. Each person needs to know that they've been heard, that what they said mattered, even if it's anger and and rage, they need to know that they've been heard. That is so important for many people because they've spent so long not being heard or listened to or validated. Mm -hmm. So even if what they're saying is completely off the wall, they still need to know that they're being heard. And yeah. mm-hmm. that what they're saying is being accounted for and factored into a possible solution.
0: Mm-hmm. A cl- I like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Jenny, you're definitely
0: the president of something. <laughs> 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 I, like it. I like it. Have you ever done one of those funerals where like they pose the person in a chair?
1: No, you know no, I that? haven't been to any of those. Yeah. Seen them online. Yeah. Um, not sure how I feel about that. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess if <laughs> somebody asked me to do it, I would try to find the best, most tasteful way to do it. But, um, yeah, that might be a little bit outside of <laughs> <mind. don't> not <laughs> that.
2: That's <laughs> kind of
0: weird. That's just totally weird. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess for some
2: folks, they, they try to make it like as close to like what this person normally was like, yeah. you know, and I mean, it's not my cup of tea, but you know, right. <laughs> it works
1: folks. for some. So if, yeah. that's, if that's what's needed. Man. Yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so one of the other questions I have is: so we get we occasionally get like really smelly bodies or smelly people. What mm-hmm. do you guys do? Because you guys are with them like a ton more time than we are. What do you do for the smell to keep you from smelling? Is you your mouth? You know? Um. Do you
1: do? Well, sometimes you're just flat out subject to it. You have no choice. <laughs> um. But then what we do is, when someone is into our care, then it's it, it's it's the appropriate treatment with chemicals. If, if embalming is not possible because of the condition, there are external you know, powders and pr- preservatives that we can place in there and then do the appropriate wrappings and such, sealing in pouches, and then placement ideally in a casket that's still shut because that will contain you know majority of the odor. Nothing's foolproof, but again, it's just a matter of keeping in that you know, controlled environment to stop things from getting worse. Um, and you know, mitigating anything with, like I said, with the with high, higher index fluids that we would need to use in those
0: cases. Yeah. Hmm. You guys just basically just suck up the smell and breathe your mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's not, because I used to use VIX, and then I finally realized that VIX just opened you up. Yeah. <laughs> I,
2: I, I think, unfortunately, there's just not a whole lot you can do.
1: I mean, it is. There really it is, isn't. You know, like, when if someone's in your vehicle, it's just, you just do the best you can. It, it's, again, it's part of what we do. It's Is it ideal and enjoyable? Not at all. Um, but you you get through it. Yeah, and like and I said, you, you in terms that? of the, the odor and such, you know, obviously there's the concerns of having that odor, you know, in your facility. So that's why it's yeah. so important to, you know, promptly move in terms of treating those remains appropriately with the proper, mm-hmm. you know, chemicals and such and
0: placement in that you know, casket. Yeah. So, you, so when they go in your van, it's not like, sealed, like a sealed partition or whatever? You're just like... Nah. So. Nah. Oh. Oh.
1: Mm. No. No.
0: No, <laughs> People a long ride for a smelly one.
1: Yeah, I've, I've been on a few of my own.
0: <laughs> oh.
1: Thankfully, yeah. it's not every day. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, I guess that's, you know, if someone like passes away in a nursing home or a hospital, like it's usually pretty recent. Yeah, but absolutely. I'm sure there are people who find family members after a day or two or maybe a few more, you know. Right. right. They it still move funeral services, you know.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah.
0: You know, I, don't like <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like decomps. I don't like decomps. I
1: don't think anybody really does. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I mean because it stays, you know. mm. it stays well, with you and it's, it's also
0: it's like the particulates that are on you. Yeah. That's what, gets, that's what you smell it all day. Yep. It's I mean, it's, it gets organic
2: <laughs> organic material that's just, you know, mm-hmm. going bad
1: essentially.
0: Okay. Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Those are the what, days you go home the, and take a couple extra hours
3: Yeah.
0: I bet what's the most lavish, uh, funeral that you've done?
3: Hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm coming up with a blank right now. I'm going to be very honest with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, gosh, you know what? I'm so sorry. I do not have an answer to that question right now. My, my memory recall is not super great right now. (laughs) No, I mean, I've done interesting, you know, as compared to lavish, you know, like, again in just you know appropriately memorializing someone's life you know we years ago cared for a gentleman who was a muscle car enthusiast so you know it was and he had his pickup truck so instead of using the hearse he was in the pickup truck oh wow cemetery and followed you know all all the muscle cars were were behind and you know when we got to the cemetery and and, you know everybody revved their engines and waved their little black and white flags you know it was it was a sad gathering but it was you know, that little level of fun, because it's what he would have wanted. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's that type of thing. And you know, someone else that was an avid gardener. So when they, when they, instead of just getting you know, like your typical casket spray and flowers that they basically built like an entire landscape scene oh around wow. his casket in the funeral home you know it was like christmas trees with lights you know no decorations oh wow but it's on that's the, really on nice. the trees and the foliage just yeah dry.
3: it looked like he was sleeping in his garden that's exactly wow what and it was sweet you know and, yeah and it was beautiful it was really really yeah. beautiful mm.
2: that nice. does
0: sound really nice you know yeah mm. so
3: I, well, I think I, an
0: hour. Is there anything else that you want to tell everybody that, I, <laughs> that we didn't ask you or anything?
1: Um, no, nah, darn. I can't think of anything. I shared my little Thomas Lynch quote with you, and uh, I, I think that's about as creative as I've got left in my tank right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I, well, I really appreciate you chatting with me and questions Yeah, we
2: appreciate you taking your time because I know right now time is sort of a commodity that you may not have.
1: So thank you very much you. for you know chatting. Absolutely, absolutely, it's it's an honor. I'll, I was sort of you know pretending to be off today, so I was able to make this work. Okay, <laughs> pretending. Like yes, I'm sure there's still things going on. Really yeah, if you in an hour, if you see me go peeling out of the parking lot in a black van, you'll know yeah. <laughs> you'll know something's gone down. Yeah. Awesome. well hopefully right. so it's we're gonna a- walk
0: we're gonna we're gonna cut off this and we'll walk over and i'll introduce julie to Ginny and
3: okay so,
0: so Sounds thanks awesome. for listening to us pete julie we have jenny thank you very have much all right bye
3: thanks